So we've got 50 weeks left of this year to discuss how we are reformed. All right. Uh, this is the year of reformation to be reformed. All right. And this is week 50. Yep. Week 51. 51. Uh, 52 weeks. Amen. And um, for the next 51 weeks, we're going to look at ways um, that we can be reformed. Ways that we can be changed um, throughout the year. I mean, it's necessary sometimes because life has a way of pressing on us with the intent by Satan to, tr to conform us. And the word of God lets us know that Satan is always trying to conform us to the ways of the world. And if you don't know that it takes reformation from time to time, you need a set period of time where you can get back to who you really are in God. You know, you were busy just trying to survive. You were busy just trying to get through something. And the whole time you were doing that, the pressures in certain areas have, have reconformed you to something, a piece of pottery that God did not intend. And it's an opportunity for us all to be reformed, that our hearts might turn like clay in his hand and that he could relent on any harm he intended and make us vessels of honor, as we discussed on last week. Amen. Amen. So um, I would love for you to take these notes this these next couple of uh, weeks for 51 weeks and save them in a place that you could find them. Because when you go through some of the things we're going to look at, you're going to need these notes. Think of it like back in the day they had cassettes. You would buy the cassette of the sermon because you knew that you were going to need that one day. And whenever you felt down or low or whatever, something was hitting you hard, you pull out that cassette. You pop it in, you rewind it, and you press play. And instantly, well, the answers that you heard once before are now running in your ear yet again. Modern day believers sometimes don't know how to do that. Some of you newbies, young folk, you don't know that. And maybe you're privileged because every message thus far since the start of this church has been new and different. That's not often the case. Like a good Sunday school lessons, they just rotate back around from Genesis to Revelation and back again. And you would hear some of the same sermons over and over again. So you feel, as we all feel, that there should be fresh bread and fresh manna for you every Sunday. Hello, somebody. And so you think that there's something new for you to learn every Sunday. And sometimes it's new, but most times it's just that you have not applied what you've already learned. Amen. Amen. So today I want us to look at reformation through introspection. Reformation through introspection. <coughs> introspection is a word that means to look inside oneself. We're going to look at ways that we are changed as individuals through looking inside of ourselves. Introspection. There's a way, a right way to do this, and there's a wrong way to do it. All right? There's a secular way to do it, and then there's a Christian way to do it. We're only going to learn the Christian way and the right way. Hello? So please don't think that this is an Instagram post because it's not. All right. This is going to use biblical techniques for introspection and the method and the pattern that Christians are supposed to have introspection is different than what you've been learning. That is wisdom in the world. And it's different than what you might have been applying to your own life. Amen. We use constantly 
just kind of sit inside yourself and think about yourself and what you got going on and, and, and try to learn lessons from that. That's not what I'm talking about. Introspection as a believer is uniquely different. But first, let us use scripture to lay the foundation that introspection is needed. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40. <coughs> Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40. When you're there, say amen. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That's an Old Testament example of introspection. Let us test and examine our ways. I think for the most part, we know how to examine our ways, but we don't necessarily test them. If you're gonna test something, you have to hold it against a control or a standard. Just to be able to acknowledge or examine the way is not the only thing necessary for introspection. You also have to hold it next to the standard, the control object within a test to see how it differs from what it was supposed to be. Yes? You can examine all the reasons why you did something. You can examine all the reasons why you felt something, why you said something, why you didn't do anything, and that's a great examination of what's happening inside of you. But not knowing that is not sufficient. You have to hold it against what you're supposed to have said, what you were supposed to have felt, what you were supposed to have thought, what you were supposed to have done, and what you were supposed to not have done. Because that is the test. Yeah? So if you take an examination or a test of those things and you hold it against the standard, you're going you're gonna to find some deviation, possibly. Yes? You might see some things that you were not Christ-like in. And just like any other good teacher or person that's administering the exam, which would be yourself, you need to score yourself on that. You need to come to the realization that I scored low. Hello? Anybody ever got a bad test paperback? Anybody got a bad test paperback and you knew that you got it back and it was low because you didn't study? Did you also know when you got that because you didn't study, did you also feel that if I really put, put a studied, I could have passed and made a better score? Yeah. Uh-huh. See, that's also a part of the examination. When you score yourself, you have to recognize the other part is that you were capable. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me today. You like to be able to say, oh, focus only on the idea that you failed. Focus only on the, on the idea that you didn't make a good grade. Hello, somebody. And that emotion behind that and the sorrow and, and the angst that you have that I just did not do what I was supposed to do. But the second part of that you have to recognize is that you are capable. Now, to be capable could hit you bad because I could have and I didn't. But also, it could hit you good. Y'all don't want to help me today. When you recognize that you could be tested again. Anybody have, to have, have a chance to have a retake? And nobody had to have a, a retake before yes. your, your teacher say I give you the test again yes. now the fact that you knew when you failed the last test that if you really would have put forth some effort you could have passed hello somebody so the knowledge that you will be tested again with that information should be encouraging and not discourage y'all don't want to help You sit remaining discouraged as if the opportunity to test again is not coming to you. 
You worry about the test that's coming up again with sorrow. Oh, she's going to test me again. Oh, the father's going to test me again. You anticipate that you're going to fail when we both know that you have the propensity to pass. So what you're really upset about is not the constant retaking of the test, but the idea that in the interim between the first test and the second test, you don't want to do the work. Y'all don't want to help me today. You don't want to help me. I, I, I just want to be angry. I want to be upset. I want to be melancholy. I want to be disappointed in myself. I want to be frustrated. I want to beat myself up because I should have known better. And all these things may be true. But in light of a retake, how helpful is that information? In light that you will have a retake. You keep living, you're going to have to take that test again. Hello, somebody. With that in mind, how helpful is all of your degradation of soul? How helpful is all of your depression? How helpful is all of your frustration? How helpful is all of your anger? How helpful is all of your despondency? These are true feelings to not making the mark. But you get to ascertain how helpful those feelings are. Hello? And sometimes they're just not helpful. You get your moment, that sucked. Did not do what I needed to do. Okay? But this is going to come up again. Let me prepare. Let me prepare. The hardest part of my test is over. Let me prepare for the retake. There's nothing I could do about that. Then, back there, it's the past. It's gone. I messed up. I didn't think right. I didn't do right. It's, it's back there. There's nothing I can do about that. Now I need to prepare for the retake. But so many people stay stuck with the emotion of what went wrong, what they did wrong, that they're missing the time to prepare for the retake, and the retake has a set arrival. He's going to knock at your door and say, pop quiz. And in some cases, it's not even going to be a pop quiz. You're going to literally see your finances go to the exact same place that they went to the last time. You're going to see your loneliness go to the exact same place that it went the last time. You're going to see your anger, your frustration go to the exact same place that it did last time. You see it going there. This means your test, your retake has a date. Hello? Not all of these retakes is pop quizzes. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm doing the thing, ain't I? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. What's happening? It's happening. And then worry and anxiety settles in where preparation should be happening. Fear about failing settles in where there's time to study. There's time to prepare. If the enemy comes knocking at your door and you see him coming afar off, do you sit there and tremble or do you fortify? Y'all don't want to help me today. You don't just sit there, oh, here he come. Hello, somebody. You fortify. You sit there, you, you start building up stronger gates and holding a stronger front. And you prepare to the last second that you can prepare. We're just not going to sit here and let it happen. All the testimony of me celebrating my, my neighbor's selling of her house and her moving. And this morning I saw the new neighbor coming in. <laughs> so excited. I wanted to go run over. But I was like, no, you have to go to church. On the day that I was celebrating while she was loading up her U-Haul, she got so angry 
that she drove in my driveway and tried to hit me with her car. I can't make this up. I cannot make this up. This is how Satan would try to push your buttons. And I saw her car room on in, pull up to my driveway, and all I could do was fortify what I'm going to do in the Lord. I'm not going to flinch. I'm not going to move. I rebuke Satan from taking another foot forward. She drove, sped up, put on her brakes, revved her engine, and I just looked at her. And she spun on back out. When the enemy is coming in, do you know how to set yourself in a way that God is pleased? Or do you overreact? Now, I've had many a test of people trying my anger. <laughs> many a test where I failed at the idea that you have pushed a button that has caused me to respond worse than I really should have responded. That something has happened, and it happened so fast that the baser part of me shined forth and not my discipline side. Many a test I took and failed so that now I could celebrate the idea that I passed. Yeah. Satan came a-threatening, and I just stood there resisting. I didn't cuss her out. I didn't flip her off. I didn't throw this bottle at her windshield. I didn't go grab my gun. All these things within my capability. I could even call the cops again the second time to come and get her, but I did not. All I wanted you to do was move because the Lord has already handled my fight. <laughs> Hello, somebody. And if you're not careful, God is trying to give you an opportunity to praise and Satan is trying to steal that opportunity you saw God move. Come on, somebody. You saw his hand just gently nudge this situation out the way, and it wasn't as grand as you wanted, and you, get a, you didn't get a chance to get all your anger out, and you didn't get a chance to tell him what you, how you really felt. No, 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 but you saw him move. And here's the opportunity for you to praise. Y'all don't want to help me. And Satan don't even want you to praise God for what you saw him do. I saw you preach a word that encouraged me. I saw you bring an answer to my situation. I saw you do it. And now Satan don't even want me to praise when I saw your hand moving. Do you know what a blessing it is to see the hand of God moving in your situation? Do you know how awesome it is that when Satan is coming in like a flood, you still he see the hand of God's mercy and compassion moving? he does it all the time but most people miss it and you had a chance to see it a wise, one, a wise man once said there are more things that go right in a day than go wrong but we focus on the things that go wrong the four so things that go wrong hello today your lungs work Ain't nobody in here pooing on themselves. Your digestive system is working. It's functioning. Hello? Some of y'all even got legs and limbs that you walked in on with your own two feet. Now, they may be sore. They may be a little crackly. Hello, somebody. Back might be a little tender. Hello, somebody. But you're still moving. Yes. See, there's some things that went right. Hello, somebody. Some of y'all actually got into vehicles 
that you actually own, that you put gas in. When there was a time when you had no vehicle, you had no money for gas. Hello, somebody. Here is something that actually went right. Come on, y'all don't wanna, y'all don't wanna help me today. Some of y'all was driving dirty. Now you can sit back, the cop behind me, run my tags. I don't even care. There's some things that went right. There are 50 million things in a day that went right. But Satan will rob you of your praise focusing on the four things that went wrong. I got a flat tire. The, the bank overcharged me. My paycheck didn't go right. I have a terrible cough. A couple of things that went wrong that day, and it robs you of praising and celebrating God for the, all the things that went right. Some things went right. They did good. And if you had to add them all up, just what you do. How many things that didn't go wrong that if they went wrong, you'd be upset? Just list them. Like, if, if I went in my car and it, was, and it didn't start, I'd be upset. Would that, would that upset you? The fact that, you, that it didn't, that it did work when you got in today, put that as a check mark of something that went right. If you went in your shower and the hot water was on, now if the hot water was off, would that upset you? Would, would taking a cold shower when you didn't want to take a cold shower bother you? Huh? Then to put a check that my hot water worked. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't want to help me today. When you open your refrigerator, y'all don't want to help me today. And the food that you wanted chilled was still chilled. And there was food in the refrigerator. Because you remember that if there was no food and the refrigerator did not work, would that upset you? Then you would count that as, oh, food in the refrigerator. Check. Check. You don't even have to do it. You didn't go to the refrigerator like, you better keep working. You better keep working. You just set it in there and forgot all about it. And that thing is still working for you. That'll help me today, huh? How many people wash clothes? Anybody ever had a time where you had to wash clothes, but the dryer broke so all the clothes was wet? And you had to haul wet clothes to the laundromat, and it was heavy, and it was soggy? Did your dryer work this week? Check. You can run down a list of things that could have went wrong that would have really upset your day and they did not go wrong. And I assure you that list is longer than the list of the things that actually went wrong. Satan will try to rob you of praise. He really will. Second Corinthians 13, five. Second Corinthians 13.5. And you're there, say amen. Second Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. What? 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 I like the fact that it didn't say examine yourself to, what, to see if you have faith. It said examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Then it goes on to get, here's those two words again, examine and test. Test yourselves, period. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Huh. You don't need me. 
to come and convict you of wrongdoing. You don't need me to come in and tell you what you're not doing right. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Because you're getting mad at me for how I have to correct you. You're getting mad at me that I'm preaching it in a way you don't prefer. You get mad at me that I'm not giving you, examine yourself. To see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says. Not if you have faith, if you're in it. Hello? He says, do you not know that Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Like if you go in and you examine yourself and you test yourself against the standard of Christ. Hello? What are you going to find? Because there's only really two solutions to that test that will say you're in the faith. The first, if you have Christ in you and you examine and test yourself and it was not good, you would recognize that you missed the mark in comparison to how Christ lived because you bear the body of your dying savior in you. If I look at Jesus, he probably wouldn't have done it that way. If I look at Jesus, he probably wouldn't be feeling like this. If I look at Jesus, he probably wouldn't have been doing it like this. He said, you examine yourself because you have Christ Jesus in you. Right? Now, when you recognize that, to a true believer, there comes the next thing is some type of shame and grief about the idea. This is what, what Paul calls godly grief. The idea that you miss the mark of who Christ is. You don't like it? Makes you sad, makes you uncomfortable, right? You wish you could do better. He said, that's good to have, right? The other outcome is that you compare yourself to what Christ would have done and you feel like you made the mark, right? Those are the only two options. I missed it, I feel bad, and I want to get it right. Or I made it, and I feel good. Those are the only two options with people that have Christ in them. When you don't have Christ in you, you don't have the standard. Who's the standard? You. You compare, I think I'm doing fine given what I have to go, go, go through. That's I compared against I. I think I did just good. Just I did the best I could given all the circumstances that I have. I versus I. I think I did good. When other people, they couldn't even, that's I versus them. Right? Well, compared to most people, at least I, that's I versus them. You'll find that you don't have Christ in you, Paul is trying to say, when the comparison is you and others and not you and Christ. He says, examine yourself. I ain't got to tell you you ain't living in the faith. This is different than believing. This is a lifestyle of living in the faith as a believer. The whole chapter he's talking about how I hate the fact that I don't even got to say these things to you. And then you're looking at me like maybe something wrong with me. You're comparing me, and he said, okay, fine. He said, I hope you get it together before I come back, because if you don't have it together yet again, I'm going to reprimand you. He said, and the third time is going to be harsher than the first two times. That's what Paul said. And I said, you only got a couple of times to keep messing this up. But my prayer, that as I'm sending this letter to you, that you're going to start making some changes. And that maybe I don't have to use my spiritual authority when I see you. Hello, somebody because you've already made the change, so thus I would be, appear to be weak, as if I have no spiritual authority, because you've already changed your heart. He said, if that's the case, I don't even mind. What Paul is addressing in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is the idea that as a leader of the body of Christ, when he says something to somebody, 
It could affect them so greatly that they are upset. The correction could give them melancholy. The correction could hurt their feelings. The correction could weigh them down. The correction could make them feel like they're never enough. They're never doing it right. He said all of that is good godly grief. He says, but I'm writing this letter that you could have a warning that I'm coming back. And I would love it if I don't have to show any authority. No power over you. No judgment. But you've already started to make the changes that are necessary. When I show up, it will look as if I have no authority because there's nothing, no hammer for me to lay down. Hello, somebody. If you're confused about that or you want some more details, read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, all of it. You can read the whole book. It's really good. He says, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Exclamation point. He is hot. You just failed to meet the test. He ain't even in you. Morals is in you. Empathy for others is in you. But Christ? No. Good morality is associated with Christ, but it is not equal to Christ. Compassion is associated with Christ, but it is not equal to Christ. Truth is associated to Christ, but it is not equal to Christ. Having Christ in you encompasses all of those things, plus his deity in action. And that's what you're being tested against. The Son of God in flesh dwelling, the Spirit of God dwelling in flesh by Jesus Christ and how he walked. You're being judged and you're examining yourself against that as a human being with the spirit of Christ in them. Same, same. That's what he's trying to say. No, that was Jesus. Mm. Apparently, that was also you. He did it so that you might see your example. It'd be different if he didn't put his spirit in you. That he couldn't. He couldn't expect you to be able to live the way Christ lived. But if I give you my spirit that will dwell in your flesh, which is the same spirit that dwelled in the body of Jesus Christ himself, then I expect for the same result and outcome. Well, I think it was different because you're the pastor. Mm -mm. No, not at all. We're all called to live by the spirit and not by the flesh. We're all called to that. My, the only difference between me and you is I'm a couple steps ahead of you that I might assist. But it does not negate your responsibility to do the same. Hello? Amen. Days of trouble must be days of prayer. Days of trouble must be days of intentional prayer. Days of depression does not mean that you just preoccupy yourself. Days of temptation does not mean that you just try to distract yourself. Days of poverty does not mean that you try to find another hustle. Days of anger does not mean that you try to avoid a person. These days of trouble must be days of prayer. prayer. If, you're in, if something has happened, that has troubled your entire day, then dedicate that day to prayer. Y'all don't want to help me. Since the day is lost anyway, y'all don't want to help. Since the whole day is crap anyway.
anyway because this thing that has happened has really messed you up so bad. Then dedicate the entire day to prayer. And you'll have a better outcome than just going through the motions. And for some of you, the idea that you got to stay at home and just pray, not go to work, not tend to this, not tending that, instantly you feel like it ain't even that bad. I just pray to I just thank you, Lord, for about 10 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. And you going about, your, oh, it ain't, now it ain't that bad all of a sudden. I just, I just took about half a day, and I just came and went to work late, and I just said, thank you, Lord. I feel, whew. <laughs> Better already. That's not everybody, but that's most cases. Most cases. Hmm? Are you sick? Guess you're not going to go to recess today. Oh, I feel fine. I feel fine. <laughs> oh, look at you feeling better. It's not that bad. It's really not that bad, Mama. I could go. Days of trouble must be days of prayer. When God seems to have withdrawn from us, we must seek him till we find him. This is a habit that too many Christians do not learn how to solve. When he withdraws, you be like, I don't know. I don't know what God is doing. And then all of a sudden, the focus is back on you how you feel that he has withdrawn, how your days look now that he's withdrawn, how things are flowing for you now that he's withdrawn, how you try but you don't really get anything now that he's withdrawn. Now the focus inadvertently as a narcissist becomes right back on you. When days of trouble and God seems to have withdrawn himself, seems to have withdrawn himself from us, we must seek him. For how long? For how long? Till, till, till a couple days? To a couple of weeks. I've been asking God to help me for a couple of weeks now. Huh? I've been seeking him for about a couple of months. So we, do you stop? When do you stop seeking him for help in your days of trouble? When? Till you find him. This is something you hear, but you don't practice. You don't go to your prayer room like, I will not leave this spot until you bless me. I will not leave this closet until you lift this thing from me. I am not taking another step, bump that, forget that, because I need you more than everything else, and nothing else matters unless I have your presence. But you can't say that because to you, so many things matter. I got to go to work. I got bills to pay. Hello? So let's not act like the presence of God is a priority to you. It's only a priority to the extent that he supplies your needs. And if he's no longer supplying whatever need that is, you find no value in his presence. No, just, I'm, I'm just talking to you about that. I mean, if you ain't going to do what I need you to do, then what's the point? That's why marriages don't work. Because people only get married with the hopes that you might help me with my life. And if you ain't helping me, what, what do you bring to the table? Then I have no need for you. 
You're no longer doing for me what you used to do. I have no need for you. That's not authentic love. You marry someone because you love who they are, not what they do. And separating that is hard for a lot of people. But it's hard for you to even understand God. Because if you can't do right, then you can't feel him. But he says, I love you even when you do wrong, so much so that I will put your wrong on my son Christ, pay for it all, and now you could just be right in my eyes. Now, you know you ain't right, but in my eyes, you're right. Now love on me like you're right. Make it about me, not you. You can't. It's like a glitch. What you going to do for me? When you going to do it? How long is it going to take? And it's, the whole thing is about you. And there are seasons that God is trying to show you that. There's an examination and a testing that is revealing what you don't want to admit. That you'd, be, you'd much rather be in a cycle of tending to yourself than to wait on the Lord. You much rather be the wife that says, I could do it by myself without you than to actually submit and surrender and work with him. You see it in your marriages and your relationships because that's what exists in the depths of your heart with God. When it no longer exists with you and God, then it is no longer displayed in your relationships. You say, I love God for who he is. I worship you for who you are. Do you? So if there's a season that he's not doing what you need, but you know eventually he will, how do you live within that season? I'm be sad till you do it. I'm gonna have this little chip on my shoulder till you do it. Like I'm a go, but In the day of his trouble, the psalmist did not seek for the diversion of business or amusement, but he sought God and his favor and grace. This is a quote by a, doc, a doctor named uh, Callie, I think it is, Dr. Challie or something like that. But nevertheless, the psalmist didn't try to busy himself with business. He didn't try to distract himself with amusement. He knew the problem. I can't feel you. And I don't want to go another second in whatever problem I have not feeling you. You guys say because I have the problem is why I can't feel you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. The problem is not why you can't feel him. It's that you don't love him apart from what he does for you. You should still be able to delight in the Lord when your problems exist. You should still be able to have a praise that is worthy off your lips when problems still arise. And even though your heart is breaking, you can still say hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. No matter what, he brings the good and the bad according to the Psalms. Another thing people don't want to admit. 
and in the midst of the bad that he brings you. What is your response? Because you try not to examine and test that. But that is what introspection is all about. Those that are under trouble of mind must pray it away. Anybody ever had trouble of mind? It ain't really outside stuff that's getting me. It's something up here. It's something up here. It's something, it's something up here in my, in my head, in my thoughts. It's, it's troubling me. <laughs> you think you can figure it out. We're not that smart. No, I know you think you are. Hey, just give me a little bit of time. I'm going to figure out what's wrong with me. Just give me a little bit of time. I'm going to figure out the solution. You're not that smart. You're really not. Problems are more complex that are go on in your mind than you recognize. They are connected in more areas than you could ever count, Neuro neurologically. You get this one done, now another one pops up, like pop the weasel. Over here and over there, and over here and over there, over here, over here, over here, over there. And you feel like I'm getting it. No, you was wasting your life. Every time they pop up, I pop it back down. Okay? I'm, I'm working it, Pastor. You work in. You work in. He says, but what you're supposed to do when you have trouble of mind is to pray it away. See, this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil messed us up, is that we give so much credence to what we know that we forget that these things are handled spiritually. Look at this, okay? When Jesus wanted to get to the other side and there was no boat, we know that a boat is a necessity for going across the water to get to the other side. Jesus said, I don't need a boat. The spirit in me could handle every physical problem even if it doesn't make any sense. The, the issue with Satan and the tree of knowledge of good and evil is that we have spent our lives trying to have knowledge about why we do what we do and how it goes and why we did it and why we feel this way. And you got all this knowledge about it and you're trying to figure it all out, but you still forget that it is a spiritual warfare and you still have to, now that you know what it is, nin, 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 you still have to pray it away. You want me to spend time diagnosing what pastor do you think is this? Is what do you think is that? All right, look, you done spent five weeks on this. Pray it away. Handle it spiritually. Whether you see it as a satanic force, handle it spiritually. Whether you see it as a trouble of mind, handle it spiritually. Whether you see it as a pain in your flesh, in your body, handle it spiritually and pray. Prayer affects what is intri intrinsic in you, and it, it affects what is outside of you. No, you don't do. Prayer goes to both the physical and the spiritual. Spiritual prayers also affect the physical realm. So whatever your problem is externally, prayer can help with that. And if there's a problem that is internal, prayer is also going to help with that. So the idea of trying to figure out what's wrong and trying to find other solutions besides prayer is wasting your time. Look at you, got degrees and all. 
still battling Satan, still failing tests. So smart, so knowledgeable about your inside, so self-aware. Well, I know me and I know how I do. <laughs> and failing spiritually, failing your tests. Because with all that knowledge and all that information, you still can't get your joy back. With all that Bible and all that knowledge, you still can't have joy of salvation. With all that information, you still cannot do something on the inside of you. But prayer can. Well, how prayer going to help? See? That thought right there. That thought right there. Because somebody else, well, what exactly does the prayer do? And now you got to figure out, well, because sometimes, you know, affirmation and positive words. Mm -mm. No. No, it's just because it's prayer. But no, because sometimes you can really like manifest. Blah, 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 blah. See, you beavering, even prayer. Stop. Prayer works as prayer works. Well, how did Jesus walk on water? Hmm. Have you figured that out yet? Nope. How did he, how did he multiply the bread? Have you figured that out? Nope. The goal is everything that he did, you cannot figure out how he did it, yet he did it. So thus, prayer works. And it works whether you understand how it works or not. And you're going to have a miserable life because you won't do anything by faith, only but by what you understand. You catch me hungry? I don't care. Prayer work? Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. 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 Oh, I thank you, Lord Jesus. So I just said pray, and they have food. What? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Pastor says she was overwhelmed with grief and depression, and she began to meditate and pray more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, let me meditate. Pastor, how you mean? Mm, I don't know. I'm supposed to be humming. <laughs> what does Christian meditation look like? <laughs> we'll be discussing that today. But when the psalmist had problems in his mind, he did not seek the diversion of business, he didn't seek the diversion of amusement. He sought God. And he sought the favor and grace of God. And not only am I praying that God, you exist, and the, the theological concepts of God, you are the great I am, you are this, you are that, that has its place. But I'm also praying that you could be merciful and gracious to me because I've got something troubling my mind that I don't know how to get rid of. So I'm asking for your grace, for your favor. And I'll keep asking you for this until I find you. Until my enemy is moving. Until the war has ended. And until I see you, I will ask. These are concepts of modern Christianity that have been lost in technology and lost in counseling and, and lost in antidepressants and lost in alcohol and lost in, the, in the, the proliferation of weed and marijuana and alcohol and lost in porn and lost in, 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 in relationships that can go bouncing back and forth, bouncing back and forth. The idea of praying until you see God move inside of you has been lost because now there are so many other solutions the world offers. 
You got to try them all. Maybe that's God. Maybe that's God. Maybe that's God. You're going to spend your lifetime trying them all to see if they're God. Well, you could have just prayed and asked for his grace and favor. For how long? Until you get it. Because the days are terrible anyway. Might as well dedicate it to prayer. I don't want to go to work. Well, might as well use that for prayer. I can't go to work. I ain't got no job. Might as well use that for prayer. I done put in an application. Ain't nobody said nothing. You might as well. The office is closed. You might as well spend the rest of the night praying. You've done all you can do. Time to pray. But you're going to find something else to do. And when ain't nothing else to do on that, you're just going to distract yourself. Get on social media. Call some extra ex old lover, some old friend. Hello, somebody. You're going to find something. Start working on D, D plans and F plans and more plans and more plans behind that plan and more plans behind that plan. You're doing all this extra planning when really you only need God to move one time. You only need him to move one time. With me and my neighbor, once God showed me the next day that she was putting her house on the market, I said, oh, this is you. That's all you had to say. Now, the rest, I know I'm just enduring. Sometimes I thought, man, her house still ain't sold. <sighs> Lord, I hope she moves. There are times when I'm wavering. But all I had to do was remember, nah, the minute I asked, I prayed that she could get a, she could sell that house and get a good uh, deal for that house is the day after her house went up for sale. That's you. That's all you. You and me and you did, I was praying and you did the thing and I don't know how you did it, but I don't even know how it happened. Do you know how many prayers I have prayed and the next day that thing shows up until I do not know how. How? Do you think I care? Do you think I care how? If that happens so many times in my life, what do you think is going to grow in me? Prayer and faith. Well, Pastor, how you, how you know what God want to do? I don't know. I just pray. How you know if he's going to really do this or do that? I don't know. I just pray. And then when I pray and he shows me that he's with me, even though the situation is not resolved, that all that does is increase my faith all the more. And when it starts to go down low, I say, but I remember that you showed me that you were with me in this, so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to thank you. Hallelujah. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm not going to get discouraged because you showed me that you were with me in this. Me not losing heart is a test I need to pass. And for some of you, it's a test you need to pass. You failed every time. Every time. Ain't you tired of these Fs? Say yes. Heed the message. This is your answer. There's a couple of people I had a dream about last night that are here in this building today. You were in my dream so much so that I woke up at 5 in the morning had to re-pray that this is, according to the dream, what you needed. I got up, I let my dogs back out at 5.33 in the morning. It was still dark. I said, what day is it? 
is today is my day off Monday? Is it? Did I already preach the message? Because in my dream, I felt like I already preached the message to these particular individuals. So I woke up and I said, oh, Lord. And I had testimonies. Pastor, that's exactly what I needed. And I said, oh, thank God. And I woke up thinking, okay, it must be Sunday night. I let the dogs out. I was like, I don't have to worry about nothing. I ain't got nothing to do in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what day is it? Oh, it's Sunday. Oh, oh, what is happening? And I prayed all the more. For some of you, this literally is your answer. And it ain't going to come more powerful than this. This is it. This is it, baby. Every other solution is man-made wisdom that is by far a lot less than this. But the word of God spoken in due season at a time when your heart is open to receive because you're already so low and I don't know what else to do and I don't know how else to think and I don't know what, this, this is now the time that you got a good heart Ready for this good word. I woke up determined that what I saw in this dream would be manifested. Let's go to Psalm 77. When the commentator said, those that are under trouble of mind must pray it away. Let's go to Psalm 77. <coughs> when you're there, say amen. Let's look at verse 3. We're going to start at verse 3. Uh, no, start at verse 6. Verse 6 is our main text of chapter 77, but I'm going to skip through quite a few of it, if not all of it. I'm going to go through it. Verse 6 says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Stop right there. The psalm of Asaph, 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 he's saying that I need to remember a song that I had in some of the lows of my life. I need to go back to other times that look like this. And what I used to sing unto the Lord at that time. He said, and um, from there, let me meditate in my heart. Now, when he did this, when he went back to what he used to sing when stuff was bleak, what did you used to say when you had no house? What did you used to sing in your heart to the father when you got divorced, when you got the breakup, when you got the bad doctor's report? What song did you sing in your previous nights? Because I assure you, this is not your first night. It's not your first night. That's your first time around this rodeo show. Not the first time you fell into sin. You had to deal with the grief and the, and the guilt of that. Not the first time that you were wayward and had to come back to God. Whatever your situation is, this is not your first night. And at least one of those nights, you had a good song to sing unto the Father. Maybe when you were young in Christ and you didn't know nothing. But you just did whatever the mothers in the church told you, whatever the, the pastor told you, whatever the elders say. Babe, you just got to praise me. Like, okay. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord just took over. Hallelujah. And you just, oh, my God, I don't even know how I felt so much better. What happened to that song? 
when you were so ignorant of the things of God that in the midst of your nights, you just praised them because somebody else said, come on, baby, come on and celebrate. And the spirit of God took over and you left that place feeling happy. You left that place feeling encouraged. You left that place feeling lifted. And you don't even know why. You walked into the same problem with a new face, a new heart and a new mind. You don't even know how it happened. What did you do in the heaven? Did you know? Nope. But it worked. And every believer in this house that's in a nighttime has at least one night where they sang the right song. Am I lying? Nope. Mm -mm. He says, now go back and sing that one. He says, sing that song. And after singing that song, he says, now let me meditate in my heart. Let me think about how that felt. I used to sing the song, you know, maybe it was a song that you always put on repeat during that time of your life. For me, it was always, you are Alpha and Omega. You are Alpha and Omega. Oh, my God, I would sing that. And in my darkest hours, I would try to just remember that song. And I would meditate on my heart. Oh, I remember. I don't feel it right now, but I remember how I was in awe of you. I remember how big you were and how honored I felt to even, that the fact you even knew me because you're Alpha and Omega. And I would just meditate in my heart about then. It's not what I feel now. That's what I remember then. The word of God says next, the psalmist says, and when I did that, then my spirit made a diligent search. Y'all don't. You need your spirit man to find something. You don't want to help me. You need your spirit to find your joy back. You need your spirit to find your endurance. You need your spirit to find your resistance back. You need your spirit man to make a diligent search. And your spirit man's like, uh-uh, we can't. I'm going to show you. Go back up to chapter, verse 1 of the same chapter. I told you it's for somebody in here. <laughs> verse 1 says, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, said that two times, and he will hear me. The emphasis here is that you didn't cry aloud in your insides. Oh God! Oh God! Oh Father! My Lord, my Lord, my God, my God. It's not something you think, it's something you say. It's something that comes from your heart out. Come on, do you want to do a good one for yourself? Come on, cry aloud unto the Father. Come on, come on, cry aloud unto the Father. Oh Lord, come on now, however you want to say. Oh Father, oh my God, my God, my God. Somebody's getting free just from that. Come on, it may not be you, but it's somebody. Oh Lord, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God. My God, my God. My God, my God, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God. Why is my spirit disquieted within me? My God, my God, my God. Why can't I feel you? My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Why do I feel overtaken? My God and my Father, my King. 
Show favor. I'm miserable. My God, have mercy on me. I'm so upset. I'm so overwhelmed. Come on, somebody. I'm so undone. Come on, somebody. I'm so made low. I'm so angry. I'm so broken. My God, my God, my God. I know you hear me. Come on. I know you hear me. Come on. Father, maybe somebody don't know, but I know you hear them. I know for a fact you hear that cry. They may think they're going through the motions. Somebody might be too afraid to even open their mouth. But to those that have taken courage by faith to do something that I don't understand, I will say, my Lord and my God. I don't know how this is going to work, but I will shout, oh, my God, because I ain't got no other solutions but thee, oh, God. I have nowhere else to turn. I'm out of solutions. I got no more wisdom. I got no more tricks. I got nothing else to try. No more meds to take. No more breaks to take. No more vacations. No more lust. No more fighting. No more anger. I got nothing else to say. I got nothing else to do. Oh God. Oh God. Have mercy on me. Give me favor. Lord, I know you hear him. Lord, I know you hear him. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and I've got no result. Come on, cry out today. Come on, by faith, cry out today. I've been trying, I've been trying, and it seems like the enemy is on every side. My God! My God. I'm not saying I'm quitting. I'm just letting you know that this sucks. I'm saying, my God, this is painful. My God, this is hurting me. My God, I am tired. My God, I am frustrated. And my God, I know you hear me. And my father, I know you hear me. And my daddy, I know you hear me. And my king, I know you hear me. You can say it loud or you can say it quietly. But you need to say it. You can whisper it or you could shout it, but you need to say it. I feel the spirit of the Lord. Oh, he is moving in this house. My, 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 my God. My, 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 my God. My God, my God. The spirit of the Lord is filling somebody right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody needs to take a deep breath in. Just symbolizing what the Spirit of God is doing on your insides. Come on. And then let it out. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Come on. Physically represent what the Spirit of God is breathing life back into you. Come on. Take a deep breath in. Come on and let it out in the name of Jesus. I'm physically showing what I see the Spirit of the Lord doing in my insides. Hallelujah. 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 The psalmist says you can take your seats. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and he will hear me. And the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. Before we get to verse 6 of remembering my song in the night, 
of meditating in my spirit, making a diligent search. Before you get to verse six, you have to recognize that the psalmist was already defeated in prayer. You don't want to help me today. The psalmist was already upset and something had gone so awry that when he cried out to the Lord, he says, and I try to remember God, all I feel is pain. All the saints are praying and all the saints are, are remembering you and all I feel is hurt. All I feel is aggravation and I'm moaning when I remember God. I'm thinking about how you did not save me here and how you did not protect me here and how you did not keep me here and how I don't understand this and how I don't understand that. And the psalmist, before he gets to verse six, he's saying, I have prayed and my spirit fainted within me. Some of you, you're crying out is because you are and have been in that place. And whether you knew it or not, your crying out at that moment was reflective of verses one through three, and you didn't even know it. That he already saw the times that you prayed and you tried, and you felt no different. You felt no move of God. You felt no spirit of God. And you didn't know what to do because you didn't want to lose faith, but you knew you were not feeling his presence at a time that you needed to feel him most. He knows that's where you've been. So when he dropped you at verse six to cry aloud, it's because he knew where you were. Verses one through three. Where you would try to connect with God and your spirit, man, just, he just gave up. You try to push aside what you were feeling and really just, I shy it on both sides, just, just kind of pray in the spirit and it just felt like a deflated balloon that would not rise. He said, when I remember God, I moan. It's not joyful for me. There's a time where it is painful and he feels ever more distant when I really want him to be close. And every bone in my body is saying, I need you to be close and I cannot find you. And then the psalmist says, I'll stop right there. He says, Selah. He says, now stop and listen. Now that you've identified where you've been, the next things we're getting ready to say is something you need to listen to. You had three, uh, one through five, you had five verses of your problem. Five verses of the Spirit of God understanding your dilemma. Five verses of God knowing your pain, knowing your despondency, knowing the lack of his spirit that you feel. Five verses, we discuss those. But from now on, from six all the way down to verse 20, is all about what you need to do. The word say la mean now stop and listen. Put a cap on that. Because the next things we have to say can't come from that place. It's good for you to know that the Father sees you. It's good for you to know that he watches you. But now we need to know what to do to be reformed. Because the cares of this world have begun to press on me to the point where I'm a creature 
that cannot feel the presence of my creator. And that can't be right. Come on, somebody. I'm a believer that can't feel the spirit of God move, and that cannot be right. I've gone through so much pain and loss and heartache that I cannot muster up the kind of joy and praise that I know my God is worth, and that is not right. I need to be reformed. Verse 3 says, when I remember God, I moan and I meditate. When I meditate, my spirit faints. I try to focus on God, and he's your Alpha and Omega. You're great. You're wonderful. You're the first and the last. You're the Bright them on the star, nothing. I get up from my prayer like that was nothing. I don't want to admit it. Maybe it did something, but where's my phone? What's going on Instagram? Right? Verse 4 says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. What he's saying is, I can't sleep. Even when I want to let it go, even when I just want to just stop thinking for a minute, you keep me awake. And all I'm doing, he says, is I'm considering the days of old. I'm remembering past times in my life, past years. And you're just running this in my head over and over and over again. Now it's 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock. I need to go to bed. I got stuff to do in the morning. I cannot just say, why can't I sleep at least? And he says, oh, you're holding my eyelids open. You're allowing these thoughts and memories of days of old to run through my head. Just so I consider the days of old the years long ago, I said, let me remember, now here's verse six, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He says, I'm not gonna call on truth from the spirit. I'm not gonna call on truth, though you are God, you are Alpha Omega, you are sovereign, you know, you are doing these things in my life, you bring both good and both bad. Sometimes it's necessary for people to suffer. Sometimes it's good that I have been afflicted. See, these are all things that your spirit man knows are true, and he fainted. He says, but you're gonna remember how you felt the day the Lord saved you. He said, I want you to go back to the feeling of how you felt when he redeemed you, how you felt when he forgave you, how he felt when he first washed you. Can you go back to the day when he delivered you? How did you feel? So now meditate from that part of your heart. I remember, I couldn't believe that you washed it all away. I remember after falling into sin, the first day my new pastor asked me to serve, I couldn't believe it, I wept. I remember the first time after falling into years of sin that you spoke through me and I cried at the amount of joy that I felt. How you rescued me, how you saved me. I remember how I prayed that you would deliver my parents and then within a year they were set free from drugs. I remember how good that felt. I remember how good I felt when you moved us out of the projects to an actual house. I remembered, my God, you're amazing. He says, now that part is where you meditate from. From how you felt in days of old. He says, and when you do that, the B clause of verse six, 
He says, the psalmist says, then my spirit made a diligent search. Now, just a minute ago, your spirit fainted. Just a minute ago, your spirit was like, like he was working so hard, and it was like, I'm out. I was trying to pull us up. Come on, self, let's go. And he was like, we can't. But now, your spirit man, after remembering how you felt, meditating on the days of old when God was good to you, now your spirit man is up and running. And what is he doing? He is searching for something. He's looking for something. This is what he finds. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. The spirit made a search. Your spirit man, the psalmist spirit man, made a search and found what questions you've been asking. When I read these questions, you know what the answers are, don't you? Don't you know what the answers are, huh? Will the Lord spurn forever? Now we know his anger is but a moment. Hello, somebody. You know the answers. Will his has a steadfast love forever cease? How could he be steadfast if it ceased? We know the answer to these things. When I read them, you know the answer. But in your meditation of the days of old from where you loved God from your heart, it gave your spirit man the strength it needed to search and find the questions that have been dragging you down. The ones that you already know the answers to, but they are constantly running like weights in your system. When you say, I know what the Bible say, but. I know what the word says, but. And after a while, you got so many of these open windows, you know, like on the, on the computer screen, you got all these open windows. You got all these open windows and open, all these open questions, and all you, you know how to click, close, click, close, click, close. And now the Spirit just said, this is all the stuff you got running in the background, weighing you down that you know the answers to. Why don't we start shutting them down? Why don't we start shutting them down? Why don't we start shutting them down? Why don't we shut them down? He said, stop and listen. Listen to the stuff you've been asking. This is the stuff running in your heart that you know the answers to, but you leave them pages open. He says, why? Your spirit man is trying to convince you this is unnecessary. This is the kind of stuff I was thinking, and I can't help it. No, you can't help it. Click. Look, go on. How do I do that? That's why he says stop and listen, and he goes on. Verse 10. The psalmist says, then I said, my spirit man made diligent search and found these horrible pages running in the background of my server. <laughs> then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High God. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work, watch this, and meditate on your mighty deeds. Stop right there. 
After your spirit man made a diligent search, the psalmist took that information, what his spirit revealed that was weighing him down in his thoughts, in his mind, in his heart. He said, you know what? I remember when I did have favor with God. See, this psalmist is writing from a point where it would appear as if God is not favoring him anymore. Like he saw the hand of God against his enemies, but now it looks like the hand of God is against him. And what is the, that's the most grievous thing is that I used to be like a little, little apple in your eye. Now I feel like you, you mad at me. <laughs> you, you, you got a problem with me? Did you cold shoulder me? And the grief is that I used to be favored. The grief is that there used to be nothing that you wouldn't do for me. The grief is that if I ever had an issue, I could run to you and just poof, somehow it would be gone. Somehow it would work out. Somehow it would be all right. And that is not what I feel now. And I discovered the stuff running in the background. Is it always going to be like this in my life? Am I always going to have these roller coasters? Is it always going to be suffering? Is it always going to be pain? Is it always going to be these things? Are you always going to be like this? Those are the questions that are weighing you down because the answers are irrelevant to what you really need. If he tells you yes, you can't handle it. If he tells you no, it's still there and you can't handle that. The answer is irrelevant. Yes, there's always going to be suffering. Oh, I knew it. Stupid life. It's always going to be cycles of this. Ah, oh, stupid system. Everything's shot out, man. I hate this stuff. If he says, no, it's not always going to be like that. Well, when is it going to change for me? When is it going to happen for me? Well, when is it going to stop? Well, what do I need to do to... Come on with your degrees and all. Catch up. The answer is irrelevant to what you really need right now. The truth, you can't handle the truth. The fact that Satan has fed you the truth before you were spiritually able to handle it is why you're in this problem in the first place. He laced all that God was doing with knowledge about how life really works and you are sad and depressed. He showed you the ideas of the world and the systems at a time that your relationship with God was not firm enough to handle it. And you put that on God? No, you decided to go experiment. You decided, well, there's other preachers and pastors and certain people on TikToks and there's other, you know, just kind of like what they say about, you know, meditation and, and you know, enlightenment. And yeah, 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 yeah. Now you got all these answers. You understand the ways of the world. And what has it gotten you? The solution is not what you're hunting for. The solution comes for the, a God who lived in flesh and walked on water. The solution comes from a, a God who, who lived in flesh and took five loaves and two fish, two fi yeah, two fish and five loaves, and multiplied it to feel, feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands. 
I think the answer you're looking for is not the answer you're searching for. You're trying to figure out why do we do it when that answer is not going to suffice for you. You need how. Satan says, why won't you make me bigger than Adam and Eve? Why won't you let me have that? Why them? You go, why? What's the point of life? Why do we have to go through this? Why is it like this? Why am I like this? Why won't you change what you can change? Why, 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 why? And that answer is not going to help you. Because you are not God. You create nothing. You don't know the idea of absolute power. Because you are in control of nothing. You're in control of absolutely nothing. So answering your questions about why, you're not going to be able to ascertain truly why because you don't know what it means to have absolute power. Am I helping you understand? Why is not going to help you. How is what you need. How do I live? given these situations? How do I make it given this situation? How do I maintain my salvation given these feelings? How do I live uprightly given my situation? How, 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 how? How? And Satan has you depressed because you don't know the answer to why. But it's not your business. You're going to be mad that God won't share with something with you? As if you have been so faithful that you deserve an understanding of why. Like he has the answer to you. Because you're so upset that he owes you an answer. If you don't give me an answer, I'm going to hold my breath. He said, try it. If you don't explain to me why I don't understand it and I don't like it, then I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to live it right. Like the meme with the mom said, when you, you, how you laugh when your kid tells you, I'm not going to speak to you anymore. And you're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> but I don't understand this, so I'm not even going to talk to you anymore, God. Okay. There's plenty of other people I can deal with right now that need something. Since you're taking our relationship for granted. You know, you can just turn it on and off whenever you feel like it. Respectfully. I'm sure you do it respectfully. But a respectful insult is still an insult. You said, with all due respect, God, I just don't feel. Does that, does that ring a bell? Does that, does that hit in home? And I don't mean to just rebuke you or chasten you in this, although that is needed. But what I'm trying to show you is that you're trying to find the solution of why. And Satan has you mad at something you did not create, but were created for. When what the father says and knows will be helpful is how. Not why can't I touch the tree? How do I live without that tree? How do I do? How do I become in your image without that knowledge of good and evil? How? How, how, 
not why. Because if you ate it, because God knows in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like him. Was that really the answer why? But I'm sure that was a part of the answer. And there are many other things that were also a part of the answer he would give. And they were not ready to handle it. How do you know? Because they ate of it anyway. How do we know? How does God know that you're not ready for the answer? Look at you. Your countenance is already an indicator that you are not ready for the answer he would truly have to give to you. So let's just focus on the how. I pray. I pray until I find them. I meditate from my heart. I remember the songs of old. I go back to the feelings of how I first felt with God. And that's where I meditate. That's where I stay. When we use the word meditation, we're talking about a place, a, a mindset, and a thought that we consistently just stay in. Right? The Buddha's like, you stay, you meditate in enlightenment. You, just try to, you really try to stay in a place where nothing is in your brain. That's not what Christian meditation is. Christian meditation is, is you try to stay with what the word says. And in this case, with a troubled mind, with, with a, dis, a, a dissonance in the Father, with a disconnect in, in what you're going through, when, when you're going through a lot and you don't feel the Father, in this case, the psalmist is trying to tell you what you need to meditate is not something mental. It's not a mantra. What you need to stay in is that first feeling that you had when he first saved you, when he first healed you, delivered you, saved you from something terrible, showed you a miracle. That's where you need to stay. He said, now meditate in that feeling. Meditation is, a, is an active work. It takes effort to stay in that mindset. Because all the other problems are going to come. All the other issues are going to come knocking. But you are practicing meditating from your heart. What you got to do the next day, how this is a waste of my time. See, that's coming knocking. But this is paramount for your survival. So you meditate. Can I get an amen? amen? The psalmist says, I will ponder all your work, verse 12, and meditate on your mighty deeds. Verse 13 says, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who know, whose works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out with water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. When the psalmist began to meditate from his heart, he said, I'm going to appeal to the times where God's right hand was on my favor. I'm going to remember when he, he actually acted like he loved me. 
I remember when he acted like he was really with me and down with me and I was giving testimonies after testimonies about how good God And from that point, everything he said came from there. God, you are mighty. When I think about that one time you did that thing, when I knew it was just you, you are so loving. When I think about that one time you said that one thing and that one word and that one thing, you are so kind. When I think about how I really messed up and then you made sure that somebody sent me this and I had that, you are so gracious. You're mighty. You're wonderful. And then he began to worship God from that. Nothing about his situation has changed on the outside, but everything that he was feeling on the inside began to change. Reformation began to happen. Say la, people of God. Say la. This is the method of your introspection. This is how it's done. This is the how, not the why. If I don't do it as a sin, see, not the why. The how. Is God going to bring that to my life? Not the why. But if he does, this is how. When he does, this is how. When the bottom falls out again, this is how. When your heart is broken again, this is how. This is the how. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. The psalmist asked if, when he thought about the trouble, the methods that, he, that should have relieved him didn't relieve him. It just increased his grief. But when he remembered God, it was only then that divine justice and wrath that he could see. His spirit was overwhelmed when he really saw who God was, and it sank. Doubts and fears proceed from the want and weakness of faith. Do you have doubts? Do you have doubts about God? Do you have fears about the future? Do your children, these proceed because there is a want and weakness of faith. Don't shrug it off as inconsequential. They exist because there is a place that you desire to have more faith mm -hmm. and a place that you are weak in your faith in. Mm -hmm. This is an examination. This is a testing. Are you doubting God? There's a weakness in your faith. Are you anxious about the future? There's a wanting of faith. Or wanting of faith if you're doubting God and a weakness. If you have anxiety, either way, there shows that you have been examined and tested yourself and found that I do not have enough faith in this area of my life. That's what the examination and the testing was for, baby. Did you pass? A little bit. Came to church. Great. But that's like a D. I mean, for you. I, I'm not judging it. You can judge it for yourself. Maybe you come to church. Was a C, given your, your, your educational level? Huh? It was not an A. 
right? But a C in third grade is an F in sixth grade. Right? So you can judge it yourself. What's your own testing? What level of faith are you at? This is for you to examine. This is for you to know and to identify, oh, I am weak in my faith. I do desire to have more faith than this. That's the whole point, people. And what do you do? You cry unto the Lord. Well, how do I get more faith? Well, it's not something you do. What? It's really not something you do. You maintain the appropriate posture before the Father inwardly. He will bring that thing to pass, because that's what he does, and then that increases your faith. We do it again? Okay. Increasing your faith is not something you do. You can't repeat, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and I'm going to increase my faith. No. The increase of faith is something God does. How does he do it? Don't know, but I do know it works by, right? One, you maintain the appropriate posture before the Father. Maybe you need to cry out. Maybe all the things that we just talked about. You remember. Then he does what he needs to do to solve the problem. And when that happens, your faith is increased. Now note that I said you having a bad position with the Father and he still does it does not increase your faith. All it does is make you spoiled. Because you think that a bad disposition will still get you what you want. And that perpetuates, uh, what is that, temper tantrums? Hello, somebody. That perpetuates backsliding and spiraling downward every time that something does not change the way and when you need it to change. So having a bad position in the Father and him still coming through on your behalf does not increase your faith. Remember, he sends rain to places that are uninhabited all the time. Places where people live, don't live, don't need no rain. But apparently they do. So you get some rain when you need rain, that's just God being God. So not being right in your heart and God still doing it does not increase your faith. And some of y'all come up testifying, I got the job even though I didn't qualify for it. That did not increase your educational level. If anything, it's going to put you at the first chopping block when they have to make cuts. You want, to, you want to testify for real? They gave me the job that I did not qualify for. Then it afforded me the opportunity to go back to school with the extra money they was giving me, so now I do qualify for the job. Now that would be an appropriate testimony. The complete testimony is not that, oh, I prayed that God would move my terrible neighbor. And he did it even though I was so mad and angry in my heart. The complete testimony is God did not move that terrible neighbor until he started dealing with me in my heart and where I was a terrible believer, and then God had mercy on healing that in me and moving my neighbor. That's a complete testimony. You only with Jesus for half the testimony. Then you can't figure out why his presence is not sufficient. But when you start having testimonies about what God does in you, then it weans you off of what he does for you. 
He's trying to give you more testimonies of what he can do in you. No, what he can do in you, not how you wrapped your mind around, not how you encouraged yourself, not how you motivated yourself, but he did something in you that you could not uh, 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 lift yourself. Then you recognize my God is a good God. Because anybody can tell a lame man to get up and walk. Doctors can do that, but can't nobody forgive sins on the inside. What he does on the inside is what you really need to increase your faith. But you won't let him do on the inside. Because it may take time. That means you have to be in a painful spot in your insides for some time. It also means you have to be stupid and serve God faithfully and rejoice and pray faithfully even though nothing is changing. I remember I had fell into sexual sin as a leader in church many, many years ago. And the whole church knew. My pastor pretty much wrote me off and put me in the hands of another elder was far too eager to show me how she really felt about me. And all the leaders were talking and whispering. And every Sunday I have to go to church. And I remember how they would look at me. What they would say. And the pain of once being used mightily by God now sat down looking stupid. And everybody knows it was humiliating. And I would go into this service and I would lift my hands before the Father. And every pain of grief, every pain of shame, every pain of anger, agitation, disappointment with myself, you can imagine. Maybe the types of the, the variety of feelings you would feel and they just rested on me every time I walked in the door. When I'm not at church, sometimes I would breathe a little better, but it seemed like when I got to church, it was heavier there. And duh. It seemed like when I got to church, I felt it more. Yes, you should. Because everybody here knows how far you are from the mark. You're in the presence of God. He even knew. But I feel like God loved me out of here. No, you still struggle a little bit at home. But it is greater here. And I remember, not for weeks, not for months, for years, having to do this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Altar calls, I would come to the altar and I would cry, 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 cry. And I would praise God and I cry and I feel so bad. And I praise God some more and I shout and I shout and I shout. And I praise God and my heart was broken, 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 month after month after month. And after a while, my praise looked like I was really happy. My praise and my dances looked like I was really feeling God. But on the inside, I was still broken. And one time the Lord just brought me to the altar. And I remember Elder LaRose Cunningham 
my pastor's sister came to church that day and I was crying at the altar and I was I wasn't in sin anymore but I was broken like this is like year a full year has passed and I'm still like I suck everything about me sucks this is terrible <laughs> and I sat there confused and bewildered about what to do in God and what to feel and I can't get past this and under the rose she just came got on the floor with me and just hugged me and she rebuked the rest of the leaders for not showing love when a person needs love. And I thought to myself, wow. I didn't even know I needed that until the Father provided it. Just somebody to say, I still love you, even though everything feels like crap. And I'm still here, even though you have not displayed what should have been displayed. Several months past that, I got my praise back in, like, for real, for real. Like, maybe another eight months. Like, what I was praising and how I was looking on the outside, I felt on the inside. And it happened in one service. I was praising God, you know, still brokenhearted, but just saying, hallelujah, Lord. I don't know what's going on. I feel like everything's a mess, but I'm just going to stop I'm gonna stop doing that. I'm just going to praise you. I'm just going to lift you up. You know, you got to talk, talk to yourself. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to just. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> but that has to be trained in you. Some of y'all don't know how to do that. You need training. And I know you're thinking, this can't be right, baby. It is. If the Bible tell you to ask elders, and all the elders tell you this is it, this is it. If he give me a dream with you in it, that this is your solution, this is it. Well, he didn't give me that dream. Would, would you have understood it? You barely receive it when it's right in front of you. You have to take this by faith. Why would I take it by faith? Because you are desperate. And that's what desperate people do. But since if you're not desperate, you can brush this off. And we'll wait till you get even lower. You think you hit bottom? You have not. You have not. Because desperate people reach out. Hands outstretched, the psalmist said. Now, give me, give me just whatever help you can give me, send it to me. one service I started praising God I started shouting and it was a bad service to do that in because I had a really short skirt on since I was sat down as a leader I was like I'm gonna wear whatever I want to wear <laughs> probably not a good idea so I couldn't really shout the way I wanted to shout so I was just shouting like this oh thank you Jesus oh thank you Jesus oh thank you Jesus when I realized I couldn't shout no more because I, I finally felt what I've been wanting to feel that I just knew to do because you're still good, because you're still mighty, because you're still wonderful, because I still love you. And then he met me and said, come here, baby. I was like, ah! I just fell to the floor. On my way out, I looked up and one of the elders said, still. And I said, too late now. <laughs> you should have got me when I was really upset, but he done showed up now. Too late. <laughs> Standing all over the house. 